guys, welcome back to Undressing the Issue. I'm Julia, and today, pardon the background noise, we're actually recording from home because we're in quarantine, um, and we're trying to social distance, so we're doing this remotely. But today I have a special guest for you guys. Her name is Monifa Ellis Addy, and uh, she is a friend and a colleague of mine, and I'm super excited to have her on and talk to her. So, Monifa, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So happy to be here and see your face via Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> via Zoom, we're social distancing. Um, so I know a lot about you, but I know my listeners don't. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself? What do you do? Who are you? How do we know each other? All of that fun stuff. So uh, what do I do? Um, I work at the Banyan Therapy Group, um, doing, working with sex addicts, partners of sex addicts, sex therapy, basically run the whole sexual gambit of stuff. <laughs> and that's where my studies lay. Um, that's how I know you. It's how we came together. Uh, prior to that, um, I've worked many random jobs, which comes along with just being, a, you know, being in the entertainment professional dance business. You know, I worked as phone sex operator. I worked Whoa, as... That is something we're going to have to <laughs> jump into. <laughs> but sorry, keep going. Okay. <laughs> um, I also worked in um, a sex shop running like the sexual wellness and education center of that. Um, yeah. I mean, and we'll probably go more into that, but yeah, all those random jobs kind of led me to where I am now. I like it. I like it. Um, I feel like we have a lot in common. I know you and I have talked about this and we've discovered that we actually do have a lot in common. Like we're both Jersey girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where in Jersey are you from? Um, from Plainfield. So it's like central Northish. Nice. I remember seeing your area code and I saw your area code and I was like, wait, where is she from? <laughs> I know where that is. <laughs> this bitch is from Jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you're a therapist and yes. you work with, I like me, all things having to do with sex. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. That's what the passion is. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about sex all day yeah. long. Yeah. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Does it ever get old? No. How can it get old? Sex is so much fun. <laughs> there's so there's so many different avenues. I feel like anytime I do get kind of bored, then something else. There's something else. It's like, oh, you know, didn't encounter that before. Yeah, so, didn't think of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like it. I like it. Um, so you and I, you know, we do share this. It's a very niche, niche. What, however, you say that word, tomato, tomato. Yeah. Uh type of population that we work with, right? So, you know, especially people with sex addictions and partners of sex addicts, it's like a very specific thing. And I feel like with sex therapy, it's a little bit more broad. Yes, very much so. Right? It's a little more yeah. diverse. Um, so I'm kind of wondering what, how it is, for, I mean, I know how it is for me, but I'm wondering how it is for you to work with our population with the sex acts or sex therapy or all of it i guess 
all of it. I want to hear yeah. what it's like on the sex addiction end, on the betrayal trauma end, and what it's like on the sex therapy end for you. Well, a lot of it has to do with what you even just said, like, because with the addiction and betrayal trauma, it's very specific. Yes. Um, and I think that was one of the things that I first learned getting into it is that that's not sex therapy. Yes. Like, it's, um, that was the first thing that kind of like surprised me because I thought, you know, it's just all under the same umbrella and it's really not like they're so different. Um, and then with sex therapy, I love how broad it is because you're dealing with, you know, is it sex and disabilities? Is it intimacy issues? Is it, you know, is it, um, you know, couples issues? Is it, you know, sex and old age? Like there's so many different broad categories that you can go into. And I feel like within each of those categories, I'm always learning something new mm -hmm. because I might need to do more research in this one specific thing. Like, is it sex and MS? Mm -hmm. Now I need to do research in that. So it's like constantly, like it never gets old. Like they're just constantly learning. Yeah, there's um, a lot to it. Yeah. Whereas with sex addiction and betrayal trauma, it's kind of, um, you know, not exact, I don't want to use the word exact, but it's, you know, kind of almost like the same routine thing you're doing each time, you know, you, you adjust it for each person, but it kind of has its own formula. Totally. Whereas sex therapy is just like, you kind of do your own thing depending yeah. on that person. Totally. So from woman to woman, I'm kind of curious about how you experience working with um, male sex addicts. Um, interesting enough, kind of what brought me into this was doing, you know, the phone sex stuff. Cause I realized that, oh, I've been working with addicts this whole time. <laughs> like not even, not even knowing that that's what I was doing. Like, I think that experience kind of prepped me for going into sex addiction because I think if I hadn't had that experience some of these things might be alarming to hear like and you know you can't really show a reaction you know like you what what's like some of the alarming around. stuff oh god come on from, give me give me the juice give me give me the from, juicy stuff I want to hear it <laughs> from doing phone sex oh my god girl um <laughs> so <laughs> and I had a blog by the way which is still up um what is um, it? Real, real phone sex confessions at um, dot blogspot dot com. Um, real phone sex confessions. Yeah, dot blogspot dot com. Dot people blogspot. blogspot that's how old it is. Oh my god! Is that like in the MySpace days? <laughs> yeah, not quite, but like coming right out of that. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, there would be this one person, and mind you, these people would call for like I did this for almost three years. So some mm -hmm. of them were like consistent callers that had been calling for years. Mm -hmm. um what's it hence dealing with sex addiction but this one person that would call um sometimes I had to go through like five different characters and you know they would start it off with I'm you know the stepmother and then but now I'm also transgender so I'm like also a man and then from there you know now they want me to like hurt their daughter like it's like it just goes from all these different levels yeah. But then also, then it's like also an orgy. Like the neighbor comes over. Like yeah. it just keeps going all over the Do place. Do you have to play the neighbor too? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I wish my friend always had the idea of like recording some of these, which I didn't do just because it just you know. Yeah. Even there's no confidentiality. It you feel like a sense of confidentiality. Um, but I could have been an actress. 
Like I <laughs> so many different voices. And then sometimes I come out. Like of it, Eddie like, Murphy and the Clumps was not an original idea. <laughs> Monifa was like, I've been there, done that. <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I, I start going to like a deep voice and then go to a little girl voice, like because I'm only teen, I'm only 18 years old. I'm the neighbor, and then going back into like it, it was just it was just insane. And then like back into the male voice, like what about it was like accents? Do you have different accents? Accents never really came up that much. Oh, um, yeah, I would love to switch from like British to like New York to like I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Sometimes, like, actually, an interesting Russian. fact about that, uh-huh. um, sometimes, like, because you have your trainer and stuff, yeah. they would tell you that you should do some accents depending on where the person's calling from, if you find it where they're calling from, because they want to know that they're talking to someone local or ah. something like that. So, like, if someone was calling from the East Coast, I would, like, you know, turn up my jersey, turn up my jersey <laughs> accent. <laughs> I love it. Which, um, I thought was very interesting. Like people would want someone local. Well, I have no idea. Well, but... I, what comes to mind for me is it's like this possibility that, you know, this could be someone I could run into mm, if they're mm-hmm. local. You know yeah. what I mean? Now it like enhances the fantasy of like, what if we've crossed paths or like, what yeah. if we will cross paths? Yeah. Just, I mean, so yeah. Just thinking. <laughs> or like there would be some people that um i'd also have to have like props around like one person would want to hear the zipping of uh boots or leather up and down they want to hear it in water zippers in water why zippers in water i don't know okay all right that's a new one haven't thought of that i would have like water running you know, like in the bathtub, I have water running and I'd be like pushing the zipper back and forth. Can you do, were you working from home? Working from home. Yeah. Oh. So you have all sorts of props and stuff at, at your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, one person loved to hear hiccups. Um, so he would call different places on three-way and have me like ask for, ask for specials, like ask calling a restaurant and ask for specials while doing the hiccups. Oh, Okay. Um, another right. person would want to, would want me to describe crushing the bones of his wife, like, but describe it like in okay. detail. Okay. Sounds like, like how, a happy marriage. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would like take out a bag of chips and just start like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like, like squishing literally. it and be like, oh, yeah. so salty and crispy. <laughs> <laughs> and then you also have like, you know, Sometimes it'd be like maybe another African-American person, but there's like a lot of self-hate going on. Mm-hmm. So they'd want you to use the N-word with them or, yeah. you know, just all this nasty, hateful stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, and then to take in all that stuff, especially when the hateful stuff would come in. Um, but, you know, I'm getting paid for it. So I would literally just kind of take it in and deal with it, you know, mm-hmm. um, it would get interesting though when um there was group lines mm-hmm. so it'd be me and one other uh girl working and yeah. you know anybody can call in and the best was when someone called in wanting us to use the n-word and the girl that i was working with was like uh-uh not today not on martin luther king's birthday you don't and ah! <laughs> i froze <laughs> but she was so serious and i was like okay was it actually that. Martin Luther King's birthday that it day? It was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she wasn't having it. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, all right. I'm with that. Yeah. But um, 
it was interesting, but the thing is with that, uh, a lot of girls don't do that for a very long time. Like, you know, they do it for maybe six months or so and they get out of it um, or they do it off and on throughout the years, but it's never consistent. Yeah. When I tell other women that I did it for two and a half, almost three years, they're like, wow. Cause it, it does, even though you're not reacting and you're taking it in after a while, it kind of wears on you I'm sure. and it becomes redundant. Yeah. Um, and you're not saying anything, you know, it's not like with therapy where you're saying stuff and you know, they're trying to get better and you're working with them and they're going back and forth. Instead, it's like you're paying, you know, you're feeding their addiction on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like being an acting out partner, um, which I realized that's another thing that helped me with the work. I realized, you know, that I was an acting out partner, mm-hmm. you know, not only with that, but like even in a relationship that I was in. Mm-hmm. So that also helps in the work that I do. For people you know, who don't in. know what an acting out partner is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what's an acting out partner? Because yes. I know, and we can yes. get into like some yes. major jargon, but what's an acting out yes. partner? So an acting out partner is, you know, the person that the sex addict is, you know, um, that's the person that they're doing all their acting out with. So that's the person, they're the prostitute that they're calling. Um, or you the, know, affair that, partner, the affair or, partner. Yeah. You know, exactly. the massage therapist that exactly. they go see that gives them happy endings or yeah. Yeah. They're exploiting the part the person that they're exploiting pretty much for yeah. their own needs. Right. Um, yeah. So I was in that in more ways than one, which I didn't realize till I started getting into the work yeah. that that was the purpose, but it also helps, especially in dealing with partners. Um, because lots of times when partners come into it, they're just like, you know, all these other women are bitches, Yeah, you know, they're bitches, yeah. um, that whore, this yeah. and that. And with my experience, I'm able to give them a different perspective. Yeah. You know, that these are also women with their own stories also. Do you, you know? share a lot about your experience in the phone sex industry with the partners that you work with? Sometimes it depends. Um, it depends on where they are in their process. Yeah. You know, if, um, if they are, in the very beginning, you know, bitches, whores, <laughs> can't stand them, then maybe not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it works better once they start to get to know me, you know, because then I bring that out and it's like, oh, you know, because they already see me as their therapist. Mm-hmm. So they see me in this specific light. So just to know right. that I was an acting out person to them is like, oh, like, you know, it's uh, bringing a whole nother dimension that they also, they don't think of these girls and that having all those dimensions. I think it also brings up the perspective that like you had no attachment to Mm -hmm. your clients, customers, whatever you want to call them. You know, you had no attachment there for you. It was a job. Like it was work. And I hear so many partners feel so betrayed partners of sex addicts who feel so hurt that, you know, the addict has gone outside of his relationship and wanted to, connect with someone else that, you know, Mm -hmm. this sort of like, I wasn't lovable enough. He didn't love me enough to, you know, not do that. And he was looking for something else. And it's almost kind of sad to think, you know, he may have been seeking connection elsewhere, but you know, the thought of what he was actually getting was not connection at all. It was this yeah. like pseudo intimacy because mm-hmm. the person on the other end, especially when it was for like paid services, most likely had no attachment to him. Yeah. 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 
And he was yeah. sitting there like feeding off of this and feeling desired and whatever else. And it's fake. It's Completely. fake. Yeah. Trying to get paid. Yeah. And it's and hard for a lot of partners to consider that because they're like, you know, I, I know I had a partner once who kind of like what you're talking about. She had so much anger and resentment towards her husband's acting out partners. And he had, you know, escorts and prostitutes that he would see repeatedly, regularly. He would take them out on dates, so to speak, mm -hmm. or travel with them, whatever. And she was like, you know, these women they're this, they're that. She had all of these names for them and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. And like, you know, they're meant for each other and blah, blah, blah. I'm sitting here going, I'm thinking to myself, this woman makes her living this way and you don't know her story and you exactly. don't know, you know, what's brought her into this. So is it her that you're angry at or is it your husband? No. no. And <laughs> right. lots of times just as women, they always tend to just blame the other woman. Totally. No matter what it is, which is just so sad because. But that that's speaks to jealousy. Mm hmm. Right? Yeah. And, you know, well, he gave you attention instead of me and I hate you. You know, it's, it's jealousy, but it's, you know, Esther Perel writes about it where, like, in the US, nobody admits to jealousy because it's like. Mm. It's like too mm -hmm. vulnerable. I don't want to admit that I still want him after he's strayed on me. And, you know, then if I'm jealous, then like I'm the insecure one. There's like shame around it. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Which it's so unnecessary. It is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, do you ever feel like as a female therapist, working with male sex addicts that, you know, at times there's any type of like attempts to push boundaries from not on your part, but from, yeah. you know, the addict's part. Um, I mean, push boundaries as far as getting more personal, getting more personal with me. Trying to get more personal or like trying to, um, almost like be seductive in a way, like try to charm you or, mm, mm -hmm. you know, that mm. kind of thing. Do you ever... Yeah. And I feel like that also just comes with just being a female in this business. And an attractive female too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Because, you know, they're already in there for sex addiction. They probably already objectify you as soon as you come through the door anyway. Right. Um, so that automatically is going to, come with it that they're mm -hmm. gonna try because that's just what they're used to but I think that's also where our position is so important because then we can model something different for them you know that this is you know it is possible to just yeah. have a business relationship and this is you know I'm your therapist you're the right. client and that's what it is with healthy um, clean boundaries yes. where <laughs> and do you ever get any types of reactions from betrayed partners like when you see couples who feel threatened by you or feel uncomfortable having you work with them and their husbands? Um, I had one partner tell me that uh, she was like, I've come such a long way because normally I would see someone like you and be like, yeah, session's over. I'm not doing this. Yep. I've had that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Well, well, thank you for staying. Yeah. Bravo <laughs> I, on I your hard work. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good on you. I got it. 
yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want him. Thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So yes, no, I definitely have gotten some pushback before, but once again, it's just important for them to see that, you know, yeah. there can be attractive, you know, and not all women are just these evil deviants that want your partner. Yeah. I want right. your husband. Like, that's not what the case is. Right. It speaks to the trauma though, right? Yes, for sure. Where it's like, you know, I can't trust any woman. I can't trust my husband, but I also can't trust other women around my husband or my partner, yeah. you know? And so I'm constantly in this like hypervigilant state. I know I've had that for, for sure. Yeah. Actually, recently I had a partner who came yeah. in with her husband <laughs> and she's like, so you're female, you look young you're blonde and that's his type. So mm -hmm. I'm triggered by your existence. And I was like, okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. I've been told that I look like, um, I guess there was this one woman in particular that he acted out with a lot. Uh, okay. And she was like, I look like her. Yeah. And she was like, but I'm going to sit through this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like we're going to get, and she loves me now. Yeah. It was just that initial getting through. Totally. Right? Those are the triggers. Yeah. It's the trauma. Yeah. I've been told I look like Mama June. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. I know. And my cat is honey boo boo. So um <laughs> we'll just we'll just skim over that. Um so uh I also think though that it can be I mean, just from my experience in working with like male sex addicts who've never, ever, ever been able to interact with a female and not mm. objectify or sexualize or like try to push boundaries or try to be charming or seductive mm -hmm. in some way that when they are able to find a female who stands very firm in her boundaries and, you know, is very professional about this and also gets him to open up and be vulnerable mm -hmm. and start talking yeah. about this stuff that he's been doing some of this addiction stuff that it's so it's I don't know it's transformative it's powerful yes yeah. you know it's one oh, thing really. to talk to a male clinician but you know you're not going to only be coming across males in your life and you need to have the experience of being able to communicate with a woman in a healthy way without mm -hmm. you know trying to undress her with your eyes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I agree with that. It is very transformative. Um, and it's, you know, it's helpful for them because now they realize like, oh, like this is possible. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's helpful for them in their own recovery. Totally. Totally. And I think it's powerful for the partners to see that, you know, the addict is able to work with a clinician where he's not able to manipulate them. He's not able to, mm -hmm. you know, charm them, seduce them, all of that, where he's just able to have it be a very clinical, straightforward thing. So yeah. I think it's helpful for everybody personally. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yay. Girl power. <laughs> <laughs> so what about like race? differences being african-american you know how does that come up in sessions for you with your clients does it even um it doesn't come up with um it only comes up with other clients that are african-american mm -hmm. 
is when those differences come up. Um, yeah. Because for them, it's like, it's almost like, ah, oh, like I have someone to talk to about this. Right. Um, that they feel like, you know, maybe a clinician of a different race is not necessarily going to understand. Right. Um, right. Cause with that, there's certain traumas, you know, being born into like a certain level of PTSD that just kind of totally. comes with the territory um, totally. that they don't necessarily understand. Um, so it's like, Oh, like someone's validating this. Right. You know, and then, you know, hip hop culture kind of, you know, promotes, you know, sexual ad addictive kind of behavior. Um, so that's another thing that comes up because they might be having these, doing these things where they don't even necessarily realize, uh -huh. you know, is addictive behavior. Um, because, you know, if everyone else, it's kind of, um, it's accepted. Like, that's just what it is. Right. Um, and then a lot of times, you know, with African-Americans, because of the, you know, trauma that comes with it, there's a lot of just deal with it and move on. Yeah. Kind of um, attitude. And, you know, when they come into therapy, they realize that, you know, it's not so easy to just deal with it and move on. Everyone else is just telling them it's nothing, you know, where that's not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, those differences do come up, but they only come up necessarily with the same, when, I, when, when I'm dealing with the same race. Mm -hmm. With other people, not so much. Yeah, I could see that. I know I've had African-American clients and being um, very, very white. <laughs> um, I, I do get the questions of like, you know, how do I talk to you about this and expect you to understand, mm. you know, my experience and the things that I've been through that are related to the color of my skin, pure and simple. But then I have other clients who kind of look at it as, you know, kind of like that old mentality of, your doctor doesn't have to have your condition to mm -hmm. know how to treat this and how to be sensitive to it. Yeah. So I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Um, on the breakfast club, Charlemagne, the God, he's a big advocate for therapy. Yeah. And he talks about it on there that he wanted his therapist to not have any of the same similarities as him. Yeah. Like, That's he's interesting. Like, uh, he's like, he didn't want them knowing anything because he felt like with uh african-american therapists they would um i guess relate too much yeah and some of the stuff is not normal right so he doesn't necessarily want someone to just be relatable to him yeah i think that when he told his therapist some of these things you know she thought it was a movie yeah. like she didn't think it was his actual life wow so he needed to know that this stuff is not normal yeah dealing with so yeah so it can go either way but other yeah. people necessarily want someone that relates to them on that level i agree I mean, I know for me, the only real trait that I look for in my own therapist is I prefer to work with a female clinician. Yeah, me too. Like I've worked with males in the past and I don't know if I just haven't had good luck with it, but yeah. I personally prefer to work with a female. Yeah. I don't know. Same for me. Yeah. That's the only thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. Maybe not. Everybody <laughs> has their preference. There's yeah. someone out there for everyone. That's literally what it comes down to. It just comes down to whatever your preference is. Yeah, I agree. So I'm kind of wondering in doing this work, has your perspective of like sexuality in general been impacted? Has it changed? Has it stayed the same? Um, what do you think? 
I was always, I mean, especially with my past jobs, I've always kind of had an open mind yeah. when it comes like open more than most. Yeah. Um, one of the first books that I ever read was um, Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex Was Afraid to Ask. Uh-huh. And I was like, this stuff is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like I could really get into this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say that it's changed. With what comes to sex addiction, though, that has definitely shifted. Because coming into the work, I must say I was one of those people before that was like, ah, it's not a real thing. Yeah. Like, you know, like they're just making stuff up. Mm-hmm. And then as I got into the work, I'm like, oh, this is a very real thing. Like you can be addicted to basically anything. Yep. In life, like, so what makes sex any different? Just because we perceive it as pleasurable, you know, Mm -hmm. we're like, oh, you can't be addicted to it. But the ones that are dealing with it, it's not necessarily a pleasurable thing. No, when it's at that level, not anymore. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, if you've been watching porn for eight hours and you're supposed to be at work, that's a problem. Right. Like, it's no longer. And then you're worrying about, am I going to lose my job? And, you know, and then there's like money. Right. And then there's like the shame and guilt of like, oh, Uh I can't believe I did this again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For one of my clients, that was one of the things that really surprised him because he wasn't seeing me for sex addiction. Mm -hmm. And it kind of morphed into that Mm -hmm. um, because he was like, he keeps cheating in his relationships and he doesn't understand why. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, like, ding, ding, ding. This is already probably where we're direction we're going. Yeah. He had no idea that that's the direction that, you know, we were going, going to go into because he just didn't believe it was a real thing either. Totally. And when I started talking about the shame aspect of it, you know, afterwards he was like, oh, I do have a lot of shame. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, that's the shame is what brought him into the office in the first place. Right. So yeah, if you're not necessarily enjoying this, then yeah, you might have, and, and you feel like you can't stop when you try to, like, it's this yes. compulsive thing. Yeah. Like no matter what the consequences are. Yeah. Like, yeah. You keep you going back to it. Addiction. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Um, that perspective completely, definitely changed. Um, and then even from the partner's perspective, um, I learned so much about that when I was starting this because you know, we look at girls being cheated on, but you never really, it's so like accepted in society mm-hmm. that like, you know, it's just how men are. So mm-hmm. you don't ever think about the trauma aspect that comes with that. Totally. Um, especially when women have been in relationships for years and it turns out that, you know, nothing is what you thought it was. Right. Looking back at it. Yeah. Um, that's extremely traumatic. I agree. Like that's traumatic to anyone. Like your reality is not what you thought it was. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. So um, that I thought was, and not only learning that, then realizing it in, you know, people around me. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, I was always an acting out partner. So I didn't realize that that was my role, right? you know, coming into this. So I didn't necessarily have, like I had trauma, but not necessarily that type of trauma. Yeah. And then now looking at it from the other end and then friends around me that have dealt with it, you know, that have had the panic attacks that have yeah. had, you know, everywhere she went, when she saw certain things, she's throwing up yeah. because she's so anxious. Um, yeah. Because she realized this person has been, you know, was definitely basically a sex addict and yeah. the past five years was not what she thought it was. Right. Um, no one really talks about the trauma no. that partners go through. No. Um, you know, sex addiction is still not necessarily being accepted across the board but that's definitely talked about way more than what the partners 
point of view and what they have to go through. Like totally. And especially yeah. in this day and age of like online dating and having somebody else, you know, a acting out partner or whatever else be so accessible and so mm-hmm. easy to find, you know, it's just, it's to me, I feel like it's just getting worse. And yeah, I agree. The, the impact on the other person who's like kind of caught in the crossfire of this, like they're, they don't know what's happening and they're being cheated on. They're being betrayed. You know, it's just kind of dismissed. It's like, well, I want to have my cake and eat it too. I like variety Mm -hmm. or whatever the excuse is. And you know, no one's really considering, but like, okay, so you cheat on them and you move on and you have your fun. But then what is the person that was cheated on? What are they left with? Yes, exactly. You know, trying to piece this together totally and it's like okay so what was how has this impacted them how are they doing now you know are they able to enter into a new relationship and still be able to like trust and not get you know triggered or scared or whatever else like well we don't know Wow. And then lots of times when they do go into the new relationship and they haven't dealt with it because there's no support system, totally. you know, they don't have anyone to talk to about this. They haven't worked through this. And so when they bring that trauma to the next relationship, they're looked down upon because it's just like, oh, well, you're punishing me for I didn't cheat on you. Why are you putting it out on me? Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. And it's like, well, because I'm still dealing with some shit. Like, right. <laughs> I never dealt with it in the but first place. It's, it's like pressure to just move on. Yes, get exactly. over it. That was just a bad egg, you know, mm-hmm. like you, but this is a totally new relationship. So just keep it moving, you know, yeah. but when that happens enough times, that's going to impact you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like the reality is it's not normal. Like it, it's normalized nowadays, but it's not okay. It's not normal. Even something like, okay, I talk about this all the time. Ghosting when people like mm, meet mm-hmm. on a dating website and they start talking and let's say they're texting or talking on the phone for a while, maybe they have a date or two. And then all of a sudden it's like radio silence. Yeah. That's abandonment. Like that's traumatic. Oh, also. for sure. Like ghosting is not okay. It is not okay. No. And it's such and a how, common how thing. avoidant is it on the person that's doing the ghosting? Totally. Like, so avoidant like just deal with it <laughs> like yeah it's, but uh, it's also dehumanizing like you're yeah. just assuming that the person on the other end who you've just ghosted is just gonna like get the message and move on mm-hmm. but you know this is somebody who has taken time out to you know interact with you and get to know you and then all of a sudden you disappear you know regardless of whether it was meant to be, you know, even if it was a brief relationship, there's a healthy, mature way to say, you know what, like, I don't think this is going to work out. You know, it's been good getting to know you, but you know, I, I kind of think it's best for me if we end things here, you know, there's a healthy and mature way to do this. And it's just like the opposite of healthy and mature. Uh, Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Which is now we're just creating more trauma. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And so now what happens, and I'm sure you've seen this, is the person who was ghosted goes on back on the dating website, starts talking to someone else. And as soon as there's like a lag period in responses, 
to a text message or whatever, instantly they're now going, oh, am I getting ghosted again? Are they doing yeah. the same thing? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, that person just works 60 hours a week. Right. Like, or they like <laughs> took yeah. a nap or they're <laughs> taking a shower or, yeah. you know, they're charging their phone in the other room. I mean, <laughs> right. But now it's this, it's this like trauma. Now it's this fear yeah. that comes up every time there's a lag of like, are, am I never going to hear from them again? I mean, it's, yeah. that sucks. Yeah. That you sucks. have no idea what other abandonment issues are already happening underneath all that. Right. But yeah. it creates this fear of abandonment and yeah. that's shitty. So for anyone listening, don't ghost people. It's <laughs> don't, fucked please up. Don't. Like don't ghost. It's so yeah. fucking stupid and, and immature. Immature. Yeah. <laughs> just just have a conversation. It's not that. I mean, you can ghost. Either. It'll keep me and Monifa in business, but, yeah. <laughs> like, but please don't. Cause it's sucky and it's painful to the people you do it to yeah okay all right i'm gonna get off my my soapbox here um so uh if you're comfortable talking about it uh you're yes. a new mama yes i am Yay! Yay. and you have like the cutest cutest little nugget um how has being a new mom affected the way that you look at like your work and your clients and betrayed partners has it changed anything um it, it has in the way that um, I'm definitely, and I think this might even just be hormones. Like, <laughs> way more, like I was already empathetic before, but now it's like extra, yeah. extra, extra empathetic. But then also when people talk about stuff with their parents, mm-hmm. I have, um, you know, I have a way more empathy towards the parents. Like, you know, there's no handbook given to you when no. you have a child. And it's hard. So, and lots of times as children, even when we grow up to be adults, we still look at our parents through childlike eyes yeah. and hold them up to this certain perspective. Like they have to be. Yeah. They're on a pedestal. Perfect. Exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, that's not realistic. You know, they had a life before you got here. Yeah. You know, and sometimes walking with a client through that is so eye opening for them because they don't realize, you know, their parents, you know, had a lot of the same issues that they're dealing with. Right. And no one taught them any different. So how could they have taught you any different? Right. Um, so lots of times it's um, like, I'll challenge them to have a conversation with their parent, like, but as an adult, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like man to man, woman to man, whatever, like yeah. as an adult, not like from kids vent lenses. Right. Of, not feeling you know, like your parents were being. Right. That they're not being malicious or intentionally hurtful that they were doing the best they could given, you know, what they had to work with, you know? It might not have turned out ideally. No, of course not. But that's just what they were working with. Exactly. And um, I realized for a lot of people that um, that's very helpful to them. Like, and it also pushes them to have a real conversation with their parents and they come out like, wow, I learned this, that, and the other. Like I had no idea that they were going through this when this was happening. Because that's another thing. Parents try to keep up a, a perfect, as perfect as they can world around their kid. Right. And the world could be burning. Mm-hmm. And this kid will have no idea that everything is literally burning down around them. Yeah. Because they kept it as perfect as possible around them. Right. So sometimes they go and they have a conversation and they're like, oh, I had no idea that, you know, my dad was cheating on my mom at that time. And, you know, she was just, you know, that's why she was so snippy. 
that's why she was so agitated with me during that time because you know he actually left right. he was on a vacation but he actually she kicked him out the house for five days is what right. was really going on I think it also speaks to like a topic that sometimes comes up with some of my clients who are parents who are going through relationship issues, especially with kids that are old enough to be cognizant of the tension in the mm. house where I talk to them about, you know, don't gaslight your kids where, mm -hmm. you know, when um, it happened recently with one of my clients, you know, her child came to her and her child, I think is like 10 or 11 years old and said, you know, mommy, what's wrong? You know, you seem sad. I, I saw you crying the other day, you know, a mommy's like, Oh, everything's fine. Sweetheart. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. And you know, I get that you're trying to protect your kids and I get that you want to shelter them. And I also understand that it's not necessarily age appropriate for you to be like, yeah. well, sweetie, mommy found out that daddy saw a prostitute again. Like we're probably yeah. not going <laughs> to want to divulge that. But at the same time, you know, you also don't want to give your kid the message that their intuition and their sense of you is incorrect. Yes, and that actually yeah. it's something wrong with them. That's like the gaslighting piece is like, no, mm -hmm. sweetie, you know, if you're constantly <coughs> denying no, what you're feeling is actually, that's just a you thing. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not what's yeah. happening at all. Now this kid is learning to second guess their own intuition. Mm -hmm. Like, don't do that to your kids. There's an age appropriate way to present this to your kids. And it's not the worst thing in the world for your kids to know that you're struggling with something and to yeah. see how you manage that and how you mm -hmm. take care of yourself around it and how you communicate around it. That is good modeling. It's, you don't yeah. have to be this like, you know, Pollyanna parent that never has any struggles because what you're not teaching your child is how to handle struggles because that they're mm. inevitably going to have. So I tell these parents this all the time where I'm like, listen, you've got to be honest with your kid. You know what? Mommy's having a bad day today and you know, something happened that hurt my feelings and I can't really talk to you about what it was that happened, but I'm kind of sad because I'm dealing with the hurt feelings and I'm going to just kind of be kind to myself and, you know, mm -hmm. do some things that make me happy and lift up my mood today. And when I have the chance, you know, even if you say daddy hurt my feelings, that can happen on the playground. Yeah. Kids hurt each other's feelings all the time, you know, and say, look, I'm going to have a conversation with daddy later and hopefully we can make up and move on from this. And Today, I'm just going to, you know, do things that make me feel better. But yeah, you're right. I'm sad. You, that's what you're sensing. You know what I yeah. mean? It's not, you don't have to be like, well, you know, mommy thinks daddy's a motherfucker. Like, <laughs> probably don't want to do that. But there's an age appropriate way to do this. So, you know, I do talk about that all the time. It's like, don't gaslight your kids, yeah. you know? And I, I think about that, you know, with, with my little one, you know, she's too young now, but as she grows older, mm -hmm. because I think a lot of parents do do that. You know, it was definitely totally. done to me. Yeah, me know? too. Me too. Then I grew up not, you know, having all sorts of poor judgment. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I if my mom hears this, mom, I love you. And I'm sorry, but I have yes. to mention this. But growing up, my mother was the queen of like, walking around with just like the most pissed off look on her face. And I'd be like, mom, what's wrong? And she's like, nothing. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, but you don't look fine. I'm fine. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> sure you are. But, you know, parents do that all the time. And I think well, part of it is because there's a realization that, like, this is a child. I can't dump this on my child. So they feel like they have to keep it to themselves and hold it together. But at the same time, it's so apparent that you're not fine. But there's... Yeah. I think it's just not in the moment realizing that there might be a way to communicate this age appropriately to your child that like, you know what, I'm just having a really hard time. I'm in a bad mood, you know? And that'll help them so much more when they get older. Totally. Make better decisions. And and to communicate that that for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And to say, mommy, I'm in a bad mood. Like I, I just feel kind of grumpy today, you know? Yeah. And that's okay. And that's okay. And you've seen mommy do that and then come out of it and be okay later. So, you know, it's anywho, we can, do a whole separate yeah. podcast episode <laughs> on this. Okay. Well, have you ever seen um, um, Inside Out? Yes, I love One of my Inside favorite Out. movies of all time. Yes. Oh, joy. <laughs> like, yes. And fear. Yes. And, oh, yes. I love it. I love it. I actually yeah. have the dolls. Uh, Do you? Them. Yeah. <laughs> my husband uh, got them for me. Um, such a cute yeah. movie. Um, but that to me, just like everything we're talking about, that just, you know, um, brings it all together perfectly because yeah. that's you can't have one without the other totally and the part when joy is like everything's fine we're fine everything's good <laughs> it's like yeah all right <laughs> and meanwhile there's like just like pandemonium around her yeah. <laughs> i know that's what it feels like right now where we're all like we're good we're fine yeah. and we <laughs> like the earth is burning <laughs> it's true um i love it i love it so um, I guess we, you kind of touched on this already, but one of the questions I had for you was, what do you think is a misconception that you see quite a bit from your clients about sexuality? Um, the biggest thing I would say is that they feel that everything has to be, it's like linear. Like it has to be, sexuality has to be this one way. Yeah. But, and they might all come in with different perspectives on what that one way is but the one commonality is it has to be this one way and yeah. they're usually a treatment because they don't feel congruent with that one mm-hmm. way whatever it is so now they have all this incongruencies within themselves and now they're trying to figure it out and then they're in our office yeah <laughs> trying to figure that, out like whatever inner that turmoil. Is. yeah yeah so um that is probably that's definitely the biggest thing is that it's not one way i have one client where she was taught you know, girls are supposed to be pure and, you know, sex is just for your husband and no one else. And when you get married, magically, you're supposed to now enjoy sex mm. when you've been told this whole time that it's impure, but somehow now it's pure yeah. and happy. Like it goes from shameful to amazing, just <laughs> yeah. magically. Yeah. When, and then yeah, that magic thing happened. Right. So yeah. now she's in therapy trying to figure out what's going on because that switch didn't go off. Right. Or, you know, another person who's, um, they see everyone else, you know, 22 years old, girls, they're fully sexual, happy, doing their thing, but they don't necessarily feel that strong need to be that sexual. So now they feel that something's wrong with them Mm -hmm. because they're not having the same experience that 22 year olds are saying that they're having. We're not even sure if that's actually what's happening. Right. but, but yeah, it's, it's just different. It's not like comparison. It's the, yeah. you know, if I'm not doing what everyone around me is doing, that means there's something wrong with me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or what I've been raised to do. Like I've been raised to do this one thing, but I don't feel that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So therefore totally. something must be wrong with me. Yeah. It doesn't feel so, right to me. 
Yeah. yeah. That happens. Yeah. It's just different versions of that over and over again. Totally. What do you think, what do you wish people would know before coming into therapy for sexual issues, whether it's addiction or um, sex therapy or whatever? What is something you wish they would know? Now is not the time to get shy. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is probably the most, the, like, it happens all the time. And it's like, you do know why you're here, right? Like, this is what we're here to talk about. So. Yeah don't start getting shy with details. Right. Like right. they start, you know, not calling oral sex what it is. They start, you know, calling it, you know, other things. And it's like, Hey, you can be as blunt as possible. Right. As you need to be like, we this is what we do. Trust habits. me. We've heard it before. <laughs> You're not going to tell me anything that's going to shock me. Yeah. Um, that is definitely the number one thing everyone comes in and they're shy all of a sudden. That's so and it's funny. Just like, why are you shy? Yeah. You're, here to talk about sex yeah. well, especially with, couple, with couples I see it even worse because now they're giggling they're getting all shy it's like you guys do sleep together right like you're together right but they don't like, talk about it but so many couples <laughs> yes. will you know it's something that they do and maybe it's become part of like a routine but it's not yes. anything that they ever just sit down and have a conversation about so yeah. that one time where I was giving you cunnilingus and I hurt you. I'm not sure what I did that hurt you. Can you tell me? Yes. There's none, there's no conversations like that. Yeah. You know? So it's yeah. just like, you know, with the couples, they're giggling and I'm just like, why are you giggling? Yeah. Like, like, like this is, this is We're part of the in problem. like third grade health class all of a <laughs> <Yes>. sudden. <laughs> or like, um, going back to what you're saying about them not even talking about it. I had one couple where one person had MS and, you know, um, they said, you know, cause you know, as you get, get older, the MS gets worse. Totally. They never once just had, did a, you know, a, a Google trip down the rabbit hole of Google where you just, you know, what works with MS, you know, what are positions for MS? Yeah. And I did one trip on Google and found a whole PowerPoint presentation with positions awesome. and examples and stuff. And I forwarded it to them and they were like, oh my God. Yeah. Like they're like, yeah, we never even, they never even talked about it. Yeah. And it's there's like, still a lot of stigma that, you know, like this is hush hush and it's yeah. taboo to talk about this and, you know, which is so contradictory. Cause if you turn on your Instagram, Oh yeah. It's a whole nother saturated story. in sex, <laughs> saturated. But meanwhile, so. when it comes down to brass tacks, people are like, I have no idea what we're doing. Like, yeah. <laughs> We don't, we don't know. We're just going in blind. <laughs> or um, my, my guilty pleasure, 90 Day Fiance. Love oh, that show. Um, <laughs> don't judge me. Um, one of the girls on there, she has like this whole YouTube channel and she's all sexual. And, yeah. You know, because sex sells. It gets her, the, gets her totally. the likes and the viewers. She's going to meet her mate in Australia and the person takes her to um, a breast molding class because mm -hmm. she's thinking that she would love this because of how she is. She was so mortified and embarrassed and was shy. And she said, yeah, well, sometimes people get the wrong idea about me when they watch my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Girls, it's your, that's your personal YouTube channel. Yeah. Like, but you're putting out one thing when it turns out she can't talk about sex at all. Right, right. And this girl was so shocked by it. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. You can't talk about sex. You know, like, it's interesting because I have, I've had a few clients who are adult film 
stars. Mm -hmm. They're, they're porn stars and they they do their porn actors really They're you know, and it's interesting because the persona that they have in their work so often is completely different from who they are outside of that. And Mm -hmm. you would think that they're this like, you know, super kinky and open and, you know, very comfortable kind of person because of what they do for work. And so many of them are not. And so many of them are just like everybody else who have their own hangups and insecurities. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. I think for me, cause this question had me thinking too, like, what do I want people to know before mm. entering therapy for sexual issues? Mm. I've been preaching this on my podcast and I say this to my clients all the time. Sex is never about sex. Yes. <laughs> like that's the yes. biggest thing. This is just a symptom. Yes. It's just, yeah. it's just like a side effect of what's actually going on and what you're mm-hmm. actually going to be working on and discussing in therapy. Like it's not about yeah. penetration. It's not about orgasm. It's not about any of those things. It's about pretty much everything else, but yeah. the actual sex. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just playing out in sex. Totally. But Yeah but it's a symptom of everything else that's going on. Totally. I wish people would know that yeah. like, yes, we're going to talk about sex and we're going to talk about sensitive, maybe sometimes embarrassing things, but whatever issues you're having surrounding sex or intimacy or whatever else probably don't have anything to do with the actual sex mm-hmm. and it's coming to terms with all of the other stuff. I think yeah. that's like the big thing. Like we don't yeah, just don't talk realize- about you know, <laughs> genitals and positions and all yeah. of that all day. There's so much. That would be a disservice. To totally. totally. Yeah, because it plays out in your whole life. It's, totally. you know, it's just one way that it's play- it's just heightened, or mm-hmm. you know, in this one magnified in this one aspect. Exactly. But if you have poor communication at work, you know, then mm-hmm. you have poor communication with your partner generally. Right. Then you're probably not talking about sex either. Right. Like, like it's just what you're just going to exactly. trickle on its way on down. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I love it. So is there anything else you want to add or anything else you think folks should hear or know about the work that we do about you? Um, don't about be scared me? of us. <laughs> Like, <laughs> well, no, they should be scared of me, but <laughs> no, but not no, they should not. <laughs> Don't be scared of us. Like people, um, you know, they are just coming into therapy in general. I think that if people open up their minds to it, as far as, um, you know, like you get a checkup when you go to the doctor, you get a physical, you get a checkup. Totally. Like there's nothing wrong with coming into therapy to just make sure everything's straight. Like you don't have to have this impeding problem right. to come in. Yeah. You know, it's good to just make sure that your mind is in order and right. you're good. You and know, it doesn't mean you're crazy. It doesn't yeah. mean you're, you know, sick in some way. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just like a good place to come and get some perspective, you know? Yeah. Like, especially yeah. with couples, um, you know, you want to be preventative rather than reactive. Totally. Uh, it's always better, you know, come in before the problem gets, you know, down mm-hmm. the street and around the corner right <laughs> like come in when he just stepped out the house <laughs> like yeah. that's it's much it's much easier you know and you're more receptive yeah if you come in sooner rather than later i agree i agree amen to that 
Yeah, don't be scared. Don't be scared. Yeah. I think it's hard. It's nice. I, I mean, I know I've been nervous about going to see a new therapist and, you know, mm-hmm. talking about sensitive stuff. And, you know, in the end, we're not there to like shame you or beat you up about anything. Yeah. We realize you're coming in because you're having a hard time with something. We're there to help you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you wouldn't go to your doc, you know, your, you know, uh, general practitioner, you know, you have a wart. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to be worried that they're going to judge you about the wart. Right. Doctor's <laughs> like, not going to be like, gonna, ew, yeah. where have you been? Right? They're going to be like, let's treat this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, Except it's, it's for my gynecologist thing. who will remain nameless, who I need to fire, no. who is like super judgmental. Yeah. No. She, oh, yeah. Oh, my oh, yeah. God. That's horrible. Yeah. She's. Oh, my God. A gynecologist. No, you can't a be A gynecologist. No, you can't. She, You're not oh, allowed to be. For my listeners, if you know of any good, very compassionate, <laughs> female-friendly, hopefully, gynecologist, ironically enough, in the LA area, preferably San oh, Fernando Valley, I need recommendations because this bitch has got to go. Um, oh she yelled God. at me. She yelled at me. Um, she said, I'm overweight. I need to put the fork down <gasps> and I need to go to the gym. Yes, I shit you not. She told me that oh I'm 38 years old. She goes, well, you know, I know you haven't had any kids, but if you're going to, you need to hurry up on it because at this <gasps> point you'd be a geriatric pregnancy. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I was like, okay, feeling good, obese and old, perfect. And (laughs) (laughs) you need to report her. Yeah. And then she goes, Uh, what was the other thing? She does the pelvic exam and she goes, you know, um, the way your hips are lined up and your your birth canal and whatever, like you would have to be a C section. Otherwise, I'm gonna have to cut you from your vagina all the way up to your asshole. And I was like, excuse you? My asshole? Yeah. I verbatim she said this to me in a checkup and I was like oh my god oh my god where's your bedside manner what so yeah so she's gotta go that was kind of abusive fuck her so yeah doctor so yes (laughs) we won't we won't be like that doctor no no we don't do (laughs) that we realize how horrible that is we don't do that and she shouldn't either anyway um so I I'm so happy you came on and talked about all this stuff. Thank Thank you you. for having me. Yeah. Thank you. I love hearing your perspective and I love talking to, well, I love talking to you about this stuff anyway. I mean, we, we ham it up all the time about this. So, um, I appreciate you coming and, um, sharing so much about yourself and the work that we do. Uh, it's always interesting and, as always, for my listeners, if you guys have feedback, questions, comments, anything you'd like to share, feel free. Uh, go to undressingtheissue.com and there's links to social media and whatever else. If you want to find Monifa, you can go to uh, banyantherapy.com mm-hmm. or Banyan yeah. Therapy. Banyan Therapy Group, I think. Therapy. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I guess I don't look good at ever. So. <laughs> Banyan Therapy Group, um, B-A-N-Y-A-N, like the Banyan Tree, group.com, located in Studio City, California, where it is a uh, private practice group of clinicians who basically all specialize in working with sex addiction, betrayal, trauma, and in the case of Monifa, whoop, whoop, who does a lot of sex therapy work yeah. as well. Yes. So um, check her out. 
And uh, as always, thank you for listening and feel free to give us feedback. See you next time. Bye guys.